This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. I was like sort of clenching the sides of the, the podium and I thought I'm going to leave. Like my mouth completely went dry. Like I was sweating. I felt cold. You know, I, I mean, I was, my nervous system was like, get out of here. You are being chased by a predator. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. So a big part of my job is to go around giving talks about different things that I'm working on. And a few years back, I was asked to give two separate talks at a big DC nonprofit. One was about how to survive a disaster, the subject of my first book, something I had learned a lot about. And the other was about how to speak in public. It was funny because like 20 times as many people showed up to the one on speaking in public. It was like standing room only. Surviving a disaster, you know, a few people came. But speaking in public was, for most people, the more likely disaster. And in fact, studies show that around 75% of people really struggle to speak in front of an audience, at least to some degree. Our listener this week has this very problem. I'm Marianne, and I'm a PhD researcher based in Switzerland. And my research interests lie in sustainable agricultural practices. Um, and I absolutely love bird watching. Marianne takes pride in being a great listener and a deep thinker. And a decent portion of her work is actually done in a group setting, and you'll often find her quietly but intently listening. However, when it comes time to contribute, well, that's not so easy for her. She gets nervous and then her mind goes blank. Recently, she was preparing for a meeting where the topic was communicated in advance. So she thought to herself, okay, great, I can collect my thoughts and go in prepared to speak up. I, I just didn't. I guess it's the same social anxiety that I have. But now there was this part of my mind that was preoccupied mm. with the thought that I'm not speaking up. I'm not speaking up. Oh my goodness, the meeting's going to end. It's going to end. It's going to end. I'm not speaking up. It was just crippling. By the end of the meeting, like the meeting's done. And I was just extremely frustrated and disappointed in myself. Hmm. So as soon as you start thinking, oh, I need to speak up, I need to speak up, then it, then you're, you're not listening, you're not doing the thing that you feel like you are really good at um, and takes you out of the moment, right? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, this feeling of inadequacy in group settings isn't just her being hard on herself. Other people have also told her that she needs to speak up and participate more. When I heard it from many people then, I was trying to uh, figure out how to work through this. And so I was, you know, listening to podcasts, reading books, <laughs> trying to figure out how can I work on this and how can I improve this? So to help Marianne find her voice, we brought in an expert on developing presence. I'm Amy Cuddy. I am a social psychologist. Uh, I teach at Harvard Business School in executive education. I'm a best-selling author of a book called Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. 
And I'm also a roller skater and a deadhead and a mom and, and a lot of other things. Amy's done a lot of research on the struggle to take up space and has helped a lot of different people find their voice. Marianne, listen to me when I tell you everyone has felt the way you're describing. I'm kind of laughing because here you are telling this story to like, know. a bunch of strangers really eloquently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I would already, you certainly don't strike me as someone who's, who's not going to be able to find her voice in these situations. Is the irony clear? Listen to you. <laughs> to you. you. You know, do you, how do you feel in this situation? Good question. Um, sorry. It's just so, um, like when you say that there, that it can be worked out, you have no idea how much it means to me. Oh, I'm um, so glad. I, I have no doubt. I mean, I, you know, this is absolutely a situational thing, like a little glitch that you're going to work out. So this is exciting. Sometimes listeners bring us really hard problems, which we can definitely help with, but we can't entirely solve in one podcast episode. But not today, my friends. We're going to help Marianne and anyone listening find your voice without having to change your personality. Stick around. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions, built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Public speaking can be paralyzing. You get the sweaty palms, the pounding heart, the shaky hands, and the more you worry about it, the worse it gets. Often it's not our anxiety, it's our anxiety about our anxiety that trips us up. And what happened in that situation that you described where you decided you were going to go in and speak and then you didn't. And so then it became harder and harder to be present at all. That's really normal. If you feel that anxiety and you just notice it and say, oh, okay, 
I acknowledge that I'm feeling anxious and I'm not going to fight that. It's easier than when you start going, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. Uh-oh, this is not going to, it's not going to go the, the way I wanted it to go. What's going to happen next time? What are they thinking of me? That makes it so much harder. Yeah, like I can see it coming from a mile away. Mm -hmm. And and then I've I've already kind of geared up to to fight it. And the stress about the stress is the stuff that really removes us from the present. Right? Mm -hmm. That that's where we, we so we're analyzing our anxiety and we're really then we have no bandwidth left to be right. to be hearing what's actually happening in the situation. I hear what you're saying that you decided that you were going to speak. But it mm. seems like in a way that turned into a kind of dread. Part of your brain had decided that it wasn't going to go well. And my grandmother used to call that borrowing trouble from the future. Right? <laughs> so you, you had already decided that it wasn't going to go well. Is that, is that, like, does that Yeah, I already shot myself in the foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's our first rule. Label this anxiety whenever you feel it. Maybe call it excitement instead of worry. Whatever you do, don't fight it. I once was giving a talk at the University of Chicago, and this is a 90-minute talk. I think it was my first first year at Northwestern, so I was, you know, I had been out of grad school for a year. And there was a guy in the front row, like, heckling me. And, hmm. I mean, a professor. We all know academia is not always the most pleasant place. <laughs> and so I remember at about an hour in, I looked at the clock, and I, I could hear it ticking. And I really thought, I'm like, I'm going to leave. I, it, will, it will be the end of my academic career, but that's okay because that's how bad this feels. <laughs> like, so I, I have been in the, the most sort of extreme version of that. I ended up just deciding to kind of push through and getting through it, it taught me that I would at least survive. Like my nervous system mm -hmm. learned that I did not die you know, mm -hmm. by staying in that room. Marianne, you're in an academic setting, and Amy, you mentioned that academia um, can generate a lot of bullying behavior. So I wonder, Marianne, do you ever feel like that at your university, especially as a woman? Do you ever feel like um, listening is not rewarded? No. In, in my group, not at all, um, which is why... Even when, when I was approached about this, it was um, in the sense that, you know, is there any way that we can um, improve the situation uh, for you? And also, I have not been to conferences yet, so I'm just early, early researcher. Um, and, you know, I've been told that, okay, this is something you might want to work on because uh, just how Amy mentioned, you know, at conferences when you're presenting, then... Uh, you get all these questions. So how do you handle these questions? How do you think on your feet? Because it's not, I don't get the sense that it's acceptable to say, can I just think about that and get back to you? Right. So what, you're going into the, you're immediately going into, you know, focusing more on the impression that you're making on others than on the impression that you're making on yourself. And I know that seems like a strange thing, but really what matters here, what's going to help you is to see yourself differently. Uh, and that is not about changing yourself. That's about seeing what you are capable of. When you're anxious like that, you see other people as potential predators, not as potential allies. You don't feel trusting. 
We're not able to think as creatively when the inhibition system is activated because the inhibition system is about saving us from, um, <laughs> from, from death. So how do we lower the stakes for ourselves? How do we stop feeling like this is a life or death situation when it's definitely not? Sometimes it helps to understand what we are bringing to the table. So I'm from India. The culture that I grew up in is one where there's very strict hierarchy. Up until a certain age, uh, you often um, only listen to what others have to say. And then, of course, there's the fact that I'm a woman from uh, that kind of a culture. So uh, it only adds to that. I really try to get people to understand the importance of these cultural differences and, and then how they intersect often with gender. Um, and, and so I completely understand what you're, what you're saying here, that, that you grew up, um, you know, where being quiet was appropriate. And that was probably reinforced as well. This is, again, not about what you're able to do. It's about the, the press of the situation, the pressure of that context on you is causing you to, you know, kind of uh, shut down. So what I guess what I'm trying to say is it's your identity now, right? You feel like your identity and academia can also do that. Like it can really make you feel like this is everything, yeah. right? So can you take it down a, a few notches? Like, can you say to yourself, this is not the end of the world if I don't do well in this one situation. Yeah, yeah, that's something I'll have to work on. <laughs> that's going to be gradual, right? I don't yes, know. but it yeah. really, for me, because, you know, I had the same problem um, at, it, at the beginning of grad school. I felt, you know, I had come from not a fancy background. You know, I, I was at Princeton. I did not feel like I fit in. I had had this really serious head injury and felt, you know, sort of insecure about my cognitive abilities. And I, on the night of the night before my first year talk, where I present my research to the department, I was ready to quit. You know, I called my advisor and I was like, I'm, I think I'm going to quit. <laughs> she was like, you're not quitting. She said, you're going to give the talk tomorrow, even if it doesn't go well. The more you do it, the easier it gets, period. Sometimes we we realize our abilities only after we see ourselves doing those things. Like we're, we don't know we're able to do something until we observe ourselves doing it. And, and so our perceptions of ourselves are to some extent built on our behaviors as opposed to our behaviors being built on our perceptions. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I would encourage you to find similar situations where the stakes don't feel as high where you can talk about your, your work. So this is the paradox, right? We can only achieve hard things when we stop caring about them so much, when we loosen our grip on the outcome just a little bit. That's really hard to do, right? But one way to start, Amy has found, is to literally change how you carry yourself in small ways. At Harvard Business School and at a lot of at a lot of business schools, your grade is is based about 50% on your participation in class. And we had a gender grade gap. You know, the female students were every bit as smart as the male students. So what was going on 
And so I started to really watch like what's happening. And one of the things I noticed was that a lot of the male students would come in and when they were sitting down, they were much more open with their body language. They were much more likely to be like taking up space where I saw a lot of the female students coming in and they, you know, they quietly came in, they'd sit down at their assigned seat and they would study their materials because we'd be discussing a case. And so they'd be studying the case, they'd be preparing, they'd be rehearsing. So rather than making themselves big, rather than expanding, they'd be making themselves really small. And, and then when they raised their hand, for, they, they were reluctant to do it. They did it more slowly. And I call that the, the apologetic hand raise. It's like saying, I'm so sorry, but I have something to say, but I'm sorry. I do that myself. Yeah. Uh, even, even on Zoom, which is uh, ridiculous. I know. I, do it still, I still do it sometimes, you know? And, and I, I'm now really aware of my body language. So I go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that thing that I talk about and write about. <laughs> but, right. But yes. Yeah. What does that look like, Marianne? Like if, if you're thinking about your posture in those moments when you feel like, oh gosh, here we go. I'm going to have to speak up and show that I uh, can contribute. And what if I don't? And uh, Just just uh, crossed legs and the, the hands crossed uh, over the knees mm-hmm. um, and shoulders kind of drooped. Having this pose that I'm, I'm guessing I wish will just make me disappear or something yeah. from the room. Getting smaller um, and right. smaller. That's what that body language is about, right? So we, we know that, that both human and non-human animals, when they feel powerful, they expand in lots of different ways, right? So, you know, uh, uh, the great apes will expand their chests, sometimes pound them. Chimps will hold sticks out to make their arms look longer. You know, we, Marianne, you said you're a birder. You know all the different things that birds do, right, to, to expand and look powerful, Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's true across the animal kingdom and it's true across humans. You know, it's a, a universal expression of power. And remember that even when you're not speaking, you know, your body language is speaking to you. So how do you manage your body language when really you just want to disappear? When we come back, Amy will tell us small ways that Marianne can start to take up more space right away. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. It turns out that our body language, when we're nervous, doesn't just affect how others see us. It affects how we feel in our own heads. And the opposite is also true. Shifting your posture in small ways can actually change your mental state. There are lots of ways in which we expand. So let's start at the top of the, uh, of the body. The way we breathe can be more or less expansive, right? So we can breathe deeply and slowly or quickly and shallowly. 
And when we breathe quickly and shallowly, we're often doing that because we're feeling anxious, because we are going into that fight or flight mode. When we breathe deeply and slowly, it's because we're feeling relaxed, we're feeling safe, we're feeling confident. But those ways of breathing aren't just outcomes of how we feel, they're also causes of how we feel. And so I'm going to teach you one really simple one, and it's it's very um, straightforwardly called four, seven, eight breathing. And it is this, you, you inhale for four counts, you hold your breath for seven, and then you exhale for eight. Those don't have to be seconds, so it's not like one Mississippi. You know, it can just be one, two, three, four. They have to have equal intervals. You repeat that three times, and it really calms you down. So let's just do it one time yeah. right now. I'll do the counts. So again, for four counts, you're going to inhale. For seven, you're going to hold your breath. And for eight, you're going to exhale. Okay. All right. So here we go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So just see how that felt. Do you, do you feel any different after doing that one time? I just actually, <laughs> uh, without realizing, I just uh, like put my feet down firmly on the ground. But when you ask that question, I'm like, oh, I just did that. Right. So, so in a good way, like in a grounded way. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Without so it, thinking it through. Yeah. That is one of my favorite little sort of hacks at the moment. It calms me down so much. So if you do that three times before you walk into those situations, it really takes advantage of what your nervous system can do to serve you in these moments. Here's another rule, and this one comes up in so many different contexts that it really should be taught in kindergarten by now. Practice intentional breathing once a day. Then when you're in a nerve-wracking situation, you can do it without thinking too much. This is, hands down, the fastest way to keep your wits about you under stress. But it's not the only way. We know, uh, great research by um, a researcher at Stanford named Deb Grunfeld, who also has a book called Acting with Power that I think you'll like, Marianne. What she finds is not only do people perceive people who speak slowly as more powerful, getting people to speak more slowly makes them feel more powerful. And that's another thing that I noticed in the HBS classroom was that the people who were getting good participation scores were not speaking quickly. They weren't like truncating their comments. They were sharing the whole thought from beginning to end and, and they didn't seem to feel rushed. So slow your speech hmm. and don't be afraid to pause. Pauses are kind of like exclamation points. It's, it's like when we pause after speaking for a little while, people snap back to attention and go, oh, I think what she just said is really important. So it, it's, it's powerful to be quiet for a moment. It, it, it shows a comfort with oneself. All right. So that's another priceless tip. Speak more slowly. And don't be afraid to pause. Ooh, don't I seem super powerful right now? You see? It's that easy. Okay. But what if sitting up straight and speaking slowly feels really unnatural? Should we really just fake it till we make it? The phrase, fake it till you make it, I really don't like. Um, to me, what I hear is put on a facade, keep that facade on, 
and eventually you'll trick people into thinking you're something you're not. You can't fake competence and knowledge, but, but sometimes we have to trick ourselves into believing in ourselves, right? So in order to become the fullest, best version of ourselves, sometimes we need to fake the confidence so that we eventually see that we're able to do the things we want to do. And that is fake it till you become it. So you're not tricking anyone else. You're just tricking yourself a little bit into feeling a bit more confident. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this is also another thing that's so comforting to hear because I thought that the imposter syndrome is something that I, I did kind of recognize that I have But this is uh, really helpful to hear that it's something that's going to be there and you acknowledge its presence and, you know, you say, hi, I see you there exactly. once again. <laughs> it's not something that I have to fight. Right. It, uh, and it will resolve. And what Amy is talking about is not just a one and done practice. Even as someone who helps people be more confident and present, she's had to practice a lot of resiliency in her own career. Amy experienced a lot of media attention a few years ago when her research was questioned in a very public way. And she did successfully defend her work over time, but it was tough. She had to put a lot of the same things she researches into practice. If we don't believe in ourselves, it's very hard for other people to believe in us, hmm. right? So I had to sort of keep reminding myself, what am I doing? What do I believe? Am I staying true to that? That was very important. Hmm. Um, The other was that my whole identity, as, as painful as the bullying has been and continues to be, um, my whole identity is not in academia. Um, right. You know, that's why I say I'm also a deadhead and yes. a roller skater and a mom. And those things bring me enormous joy. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm better in my work life when I'm doing those things as well. Yeah, that's really important, right? So then you're not hanging your hat on what other people think. You've got a whole internal life no. and a, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I paid for a lot of my college working as a roller skating waitress. And so like all of these things were things that I thought, well, they don't really match with going to Princeton and teaching at Harvard. Right. And, and I almost pushed them away and didn't really want people to know about those parts of me. And then I'm like, wait a minute. These are like the best parts this of This is awesome, this right? Is, the fact that awesome. it doesn't fit is like I just love this. Fantastic. And remember that there are there are so many parts of you, and there are so many parts of you that you don't even know yet, Marianne. Like you don't yet know all the people who you will love, hmm. right? Just think of that. Like that, that's amazing. How exciting is yeah, that? That's true. <laughs> you know, you have so much to look forward to. That's kind of my philosophy of life as well. That as humans, I think we have an unconditional. Um, ability to love hmm. uh, and, and that if we were really to be true to ourselves then we can love everybody around us and there are depths that are that can be explored there so I I completely hear you there and uh, yeah but it's interesting I hadn't thought of how that philosophy could help in this regard so it do it does in so many ways so before you go into these situations I want you to to sit down and just write a few sentences about that value that you hold. That is called self-affirmation. And it, it's funny because when people think of self-affirmation, they think it's when we tell ourselves, oh, I'm really good at this thing that I'm about to do. It's actually not. Self-affirmation is when you affirm your core values to yourself. 
your core identity. Who really are you down deep? You affirm that to yourself before you go into to another a stressful situation that could be totally unrelated and you will do better and you will be less stressed because you have just anchored yourself in who you are. You now know that no matter what, you are still that person when you leave. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that brings so much calmness actually to me to kind of think about that because I always thought, okay, I'm, I, I'm good at listening, but now I'm, I have to get rid of this. No. Uh, so it's very, yeah, it's very soothing actually to hear that, that it's, um, it's just how I perceive it. Yes. If you start to get anxious again, I want you instead of going, oh my gosh, now I really have to say something. I want you to do the opposite. I want you to really lean into the thing you know you're good at, which is listening. And, and because that will remind you um, that you have this great skill, but also it will be calming to do the thing that you're familiar with that you know you do well. But at the same time, to look for opportunities as you're listening to speak in response to what you've just heard. So Marianne, I'm curious, tomorrow you'll be back in meetings, right? So what do you think you might do? What's the plan? What I have in mind for tomorrow is the breathing exercise. And um, I think I'm going to listen to some music where I write down uh, the self-affirmation notes, really ground myself. And then even I, I picture myself actually even walking to the meeting room kind of uh, shoulders rolled back straight yes. and just uh, in case I start feeling anxious, then I will accept it. I will acknowledge to myself that I am feeling anxious and then tell myself to lean on to my, my strength of listening. So I think this is what I'm going to try out tomorrow. <laughs> That's a lot of great stuff. And actually, Marianne, I do have one song that I want you to listen to. Oh, yes, Because it's a nice one. Listen to Ripple by The Grateful Dead. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you to Marianne for reaching out to us and for trusting us to help her face this fear. And to Amy Cuddy for all of her great advice. Definitely pick up her book, Presence, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges. And by the way, we got a great update from Marianne. Hello. So since our conversation, I had a group meeting at work and a couple of social gatherings. Prior to going into these situations, I practiced the breathing and the grounding exercises. While I was in these environments, if I felt a surge in my anxiety, um, I acknowledged it instead of fighting it. And all this has worked. Um, I was able to concentrate and listen attentively once again. I also participated in the discussions. <laughs> so this is great. Uh, thank you all so very much for all the suggestions and the encouragement. All the very best. We are overjoyed to hear that, Marianne. Thank you for letting us know. Best of luck and keep us updated. Everyone else, do you have a problem that we could solve in just one episode? Or, fine, something harder. That's okay, too. Either way, let us know. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. 
How To's executive producer is Derek John. Katie Shepard and Rosemary Belson produced this show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Amber Smith. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. Is full, may 